Hello friends, now I am going to read chapter 8, Economics. Let's start. Although Marx described the materialist conception of history as the leading thread of his study, he was in no doubt that his masterpiece was capital. In this book, he presented his economic theories to the public in their most finished form. Most finished, not finished. Marx saw only the first volume of Capital through the publication. The second and third volumes were published by Angels and a fourth volume entitled Theories of Surplus Value by German Socialist Kautsky. As with the materialist conception of history, so with the economics, the mature form is easier to appreciate in the light of earlier writing. So let's return to Marx's ideas in 1844, the point at which we ceased to follow their general development and went off in pursuit of the materialist conception of history. By 1844, Marx had come to hold that the capitalist economic system regarded by the classical economists as natural and inevitable was an alienated form of human life under capitalism workers are forced to sell their labor, which Marx regards as the essence of uh, human existence. To the capitalist who use this labor to accumulate more capital, which further increases the power of the capitalist over the workers. Capitalists become rich while wages are driven down to the bare minimum needed to keep the workers alive, yet in reducing so large a class of people to this degraded condition, capitalism creates the material force that will overthrow it. For Marx, the importance of economics lay in the insight it provided into the workings of this alienation and the manner in which it could be overcome. In the years immediately after 1844, Marx's major literary efforts went into polemical works, The Holy Family, The German Ideology and The Poverty of Philosophy. In the course of castigating his opponents, Marx developed the materialist conception of history but did not greatly advance his economic theories. His first attempt to work out these theories in any detail came in 1847 when he gave a series of lectures on economics to the Working Men's Club in Brussels. The lectures were revised and published as newspaper articles in 1849 and later reprinted under, under the title Wage, Labor and Capital. Wage, Labor and Capital is a lucidly written work containing many echoes of the 1844 manuscripts but without their Hegelian terminology. It is worth examining in some detail because its clarity makes the more difficult capital easier to grasp. Marx starts with labor. Labor is described as the worker's own life activity, the manifestation of his own life. Yet it becomes under capitalism a commodity the worker must sell in order to live. Therefore, his life activity is reduced to a means to go on living, not part of his life, but a sacrifice of his life. 
His real life only begins when his work ceases at table in the public house in bed. Marx then asks how wages are determined and answers that the price of labor is determined like the price of any other commodity. It may rise or fall according to supply and demand but the general tendency is for wages to level down to the cost of production of labor that is the cost necessary for keeping the worker alive and capable of working and reproducing. Next, Marx turns to capital. He states the view of classical economics that uh, capital consists of the raw materials, instruments of production and means of subsistence which are used in further production. Since all these elements of capital are the creation of labor, even the classical economists hold that capital is accumulated labor. What the classical economists overlook, however, is that all this is true only within a certain set of social relations. Just as a Negro is not as such a slave but can become a slave in a slave-owning society, so accumulated labor becomes capital only in bourgeois society. The classical economists see capital as natural rather than socially conditioned because they see it as material products machines, raw materials, etc. These material products, however, are also commodities. Commodities are items which can be exchanged against other items. For instance, a pound of sugar may be exchangeable for two pounds of potatoes or half a pound of strawberries. They therefore have exchange value. Exchange value is a key term in Marxist economics. It is contrasted with use value. The use value of a pound of sugar is uh, its power to satisfy people's desires for something sweet. The exchange value of a pound of sugar is two pounds of potatoes or expressed in terms of money, say 20 paise. Use values therefore exist independently of a market or any other system of exchange. Exchange values do not. Now, capital is really a sum of commodities, that is, of, of exchange values. Whether it consists of wool, cotton, machines, buildings, or ships, it remains capital. Well, all capital is a sum of exchange values. However, not all sums of exchange values are capital. A sum of exchange values becomes capital only if used to increase itself by being exchanged for labor. Thus, capital cannot exist without hiring wage labor nor can wage labor exist unless hired by capital. This is the basis of the claim made by bourgeois economists that the interest of the capitalist and the workers are one and the same. Marx now examines this much wanted community of interest between worker and capitalist. He takes the case most favorable for the bourgeois economist. The situation in which capital is growing and hence the demand for labor and the price of labor is rising. Marx's first point is one still made by critics of the modern consumer society. A house may be large or small. As long as the surrounding houses are equally small, it satisfies all social demands for a dwelling. But let a palace arise beside the little house and it shrinks from a little house to a hut. However, High it may shoot up in the course of civilization if the neighboring palace grows to an equal or 
even greater extent the occupant of the relatively small house will feel more and more uncomfortable dissatisfied and cramped within its four walls the reason for poverty and affluence be, being relative to the standard of our neighbors is marx says that our desires are of a social nature they are produced by our life in society rather than by the objects we desire themselves thus rising wages do not produce greater satisfaction if the standard of living of the capitalist has risen even more yet this is exactly what happens when the growth of capital produces a rise in wages growth in capital means a growth in profit by marx following the classical economist ricardo claims this can only happen if the relative share of wages is reduced wages may rise in real terms but the gulf between workers and capitalist will increase there is also more fundamental opposition between capitalist and workers if capital grows the domination of capital over workers increases wage labor produces the wealth that rules over it and gets from this hostile power it means its means of subsistence only on condition that it again assists the growth of capital capital increases its domination by increasing the division of labor this occurs because competition between capitalists forces them to make labor ever more productive and the greater the scale on which they can produce and the greater the division of labor the more produce productive labor is the increasing division division of labor has several effects first it enables one worker to do the work of 10 and so increases the competition among workers for jobs thus driving wages down second it simplifies simplifies labor eliminates the special skills of the worker and transforms him into a simple monotonous productive force third it puts more small scale capitalists out of business they can do nothing but join the working class thus says marx the forest of uplifted arms demanding work becomes ever thicker while the arms themselves become ever thinner finally marx says as the scale of production increases and new markets are needed to dispose of the production economic crises become more violent initially crises of uh, or production can be relieved by opening up a new market or more thoroughly exploiting an old one this room for maneuver strings as production expands and uh, wage labor and capital closes with an image of capitalism collapsing into its grave but taking with it the corpses of its slaves the workers who perish in economic crises and all this marx ironically reminds us when capital is growing the most favorable condition for wage labor wage labor and capital condition uh, contains no answer to a crucial puzzle common to classical economists like david ricardo and marx in his own early theory both held that commodities are on average exchanged for their value they also held a labor theory of value namely the theory that the exchange value of a commodity corresponds to the amount of labor it takes to produce it value that is the uh, value is mass was later to write crystallized social labor but labor is a commodity too like other commodities it should on average 
be exchanged for its value the capitalist who buys a day's labor should therefore on average have to pay the value of a day's labor this will add the value of a day's labor to the production of uh, a production cost of the commodity and uh, a commodity the worker produces in that day this commodity the capitalist will then sell for a price that on average corresponds to the value of the labor required to pro produce it where then does the capitalist get his profit from marx first worked out uh, his solution to this puzzle in unpublished notebook written in 1857 to 58 these notebooks contain in draft form a good deal of material that was uh, to appear in capital but the four fat well fat volumes of capital appear to be only a portion of the works projected in the notebooks the notebooks were published only in 1953 and not translated into english until 1972 they are known as the grundrisse g r u n d r i s s e a german word meaning outlines or foundations since they were first published in german under the title foundations of the critics of political economy the most intriguing point about the grundrisse is that although it was written well into marx maturity it is closer in both terminology and method of argument to the 1844 manuscript than to any of the works published in marx's lifetime after 1844 even if it were not possible to trace transformed hegelian themes in marx's mature published works the grund the grundrisse makes it plain plain that marx did not make the decisive break with hegelian philosophy that is a reference to the german ideology as a, as a settling account with our former philosophic concerns has been taken to imply the key element of marx's mature economic theory appears in the grundrisse the worker marx writes sells labor itself as objectified labor that is he sells labor only in so far as it already objectifies a definite amount of labor hence in so far as its equivalent is already measured given capital buys it as living labor as the general productive force of wealth activity which increases wealth what does marx mean by the by this distinction between objectified labor and living labor objectified labor is the predetermined amount for which the capitalist pays for instance the worker's labor for 12 hours this is a labor as a commodity the exchange value of this commodity is the amount needed to produce it that is the amount needed to keep the worker alive and reproductive but there is a dual nature to the exchange of labor and capital the capitalist obtains the use of the worker's labor power for the prescribed period say one day and can use this labor power to produce as much wealth as he is able to get out of it this is what marx means when he says that capital buys living labor the worker gets a fixed sum regardless of what the capitalist can made out of his labor power here we have what angels in his funeral oration described as the second of marx 
great discoveries the discovery of surplus value surplus value is the value the capitalist is able to extract from the labor power he buys above the exchange value of the labor that he must pay it is the difference between labor power as a creative productive force and uh, labor time as an objectified commodity suppose uh, Uh, that the cost of keeping a worker alive and reproducing for one day is one euro, and suppose that a day's work consists of twelve hours, then the exchange value of twelve hours uh, labor will be one euro. Fluctuations about this figure will be short-lived. Suppose, however, that the development of the forces of production means that a worker's labor power can be used to add one euro to the value of some raw materials in only six hours. Then the worker effectively earns his wages in six hours. But the capitalist has bought twelve hours of labor power for his one euro and can now use the remaining six hours to extract surplus value from the worker. This is. Mas claims the secret of how capital is able to use the worker's creative power to increase its domination over the worker. Mas published some of his new economic ideas in 1859 in a contribution to the critique of political economy. This work is justifiably famous for the subsequent summary of the materialist view of history. contained in its preface which we have already discussed but the economic ideas were insignificant compared with those published 8 years later in the first volume of capital so we shall go straight on to this pinnacle of marx's writings capital has a familiar sounding subtitle critical political economy and once again the work criticizes classical economic theories both within their own presuppositions and from a broader point of view but capital also contains historical material on the origin of capital and detailed descriptions drawn from government publications like the reports of factory inspectors of the horrific nature of factory labor we can see how all this fits in with marx's general theoretical system by examining the first chapter of capital on commodities and particularly the final section of this chapter intriguingly entitled the fetishism of uh, commodities and the secret thereof according to marx commodities are mysterious things in which the social character of human labor appears to be an objective feature of the product of that labor he illustrates this with religion and religion marx says the productions of the human brain seem to be uh, independent beings similarly with commodities a social relation between human beings appears in the form of the value of a commodity as if that value were objective and independent of human relations like religious believers bowing before an idol we make a fetish of commodities by treating them as more than they really are how does this happens it happens only when we begin to produce things not because they directly serve our wants but in order to exchange them since the exchange value of a product corresponds to the amount of uh, labor required to produce it when we produce in order to exchange the value of our labor becomes its exchange value rather than its use value when we exchange our products 
we are without being aware of it taking as equal the different kinds of labor embedded in them in a society based on the production of commodities there is marx's mystical veil or these life processes of uh, society which uh, would not exist if we produced as freely associated men consciously regulating our production in a planned way then the value of a product would be its use value the extent to which it satisfies our desires classical economists like adam smith and david ricardo lifted the veil for enough to see that the value of a product that is its ex- exchange value represents the labor time it took to produce it but they took this as a law of nature a self evident necessary truth on the contrary says mas it bears the stamp of a society in which the process of production has the mastery over man instead of being controlled by him the aim of capital then is to reap aside this mystical veil or the life processes of modern society revealing these processes as the domination of human beings by their own social relations thus capital like marx other writings is based on the idea that human beings are in a state of alienation a state in which their own creations appear to them as alien hostile forces and in which instead of controlling their creations they are controlled by them within this my god within this overall conception the detail of capital falls into place the economic theory contained mostly in the first nine chapters is an attempt to dis- display the real economic basis of production in a capitalist society here marx debates with the classical economists trying to show that even on their own terms he has a better account of the economic workings of capitalism most of these first nine chapters prepare the ground for and then introduce the notion of surplus value this involves a lengthy restatement in plain language of the point made in more hegelian terms in the grundrisse the dual nature of commodities which can be seen as use values or exchange values affects labor too what is special about labor though is that it is the major of exchange value thus a new machine which makes it possible to produce two coats in the time it used to take to produce one will increase the use value of an hour's labor because two coats are more useful than one but will not increase the exchange value of the hour's labor because an hour's labor remains an hour's labor and if a coat only takes half as long to make as it used to it will in the end be worth correspondingly less increasing the fruitfulness of labor therefore increases its use value but not the exchange value of its output this is how capitalism enslaves its workers through machinery and the division of labor capitalism greatly increases the productivity of human labor but this increased productivity does not benefit the producers if in pre-capitalist times people had to work for 12 hours to produce the necessities of life doubling the productivity of their labor ought to mean that they can now choose between an extra 6 hours of leisure to twice as many useful products 
और सम कॉन्ट्रीब्यूशन सॉरी और सम कॉम्बिनेशन ऑफ द टू अंडर कैपिटलिज्म हावेवर लेबर इज गियर्ड टू द प्रोडक्शन ऑफ गुड्स फॉर एक्सचेंज पैराडॉक्सिकली अंडर दीज कंडीशंस इंक्रीज्ड प्रोडक्टिविटी डज नॉट लीड टू द प्रोडक्शन ऑफ मोर एक्सचेंज वैल्यू इन स्टेट द एक्सचेंज वैल्यू पर आइटम ऑफ वॉट इज प्रोड्यूस्ड ड्रॉप्स small independent producers are forced to become wage laborers since they cannot produce as many atoms in a day as the larger producers who obtain economies of scale by the use of wage laborers since wages tend to fall to the level at which they barely sustain the laboring class the overwhelming majority of uh, human beings have lost not gained by the increased productivity of human labor that at any rate is a mass wealth but what happens to the increased productivity if it does not improve the lives of the workers marx's answer is that it is a schemed of uh, from the workers output in the form of surplus value the capitalist obtains the use value of the workers labor power and pays only the exchange value because labor power is a commodity which can be used to produce more value than it has itself the capitalist is able to retain the difference between the two the fact that the workers uh, the fact that the worker obtains only the exchange value rather than use value of uh, use value of his labor means that in order to earn enough to support himself he has to work a full day set 12 hours whereas his labor produces the use values of the necessary food clothing shelter and so on in Say six hours. The six hours in which the worker produces the value of the goods he needs, Marx calls the worker produces the value of the. Uh, sorry, the six hours in which the worker produces the value of the goods he needs, Marx calls necessary labor because it is labor that the worker would have to undertake in any economic system given the level of development of forces of production but the extra 6 hours are surplus labor which is in, in effect a form of forced labor for the benefit of the capitalist the essential difference between a society based on slave labor and one based on wage labor lies marx says only in the manner in which the surplus labor is extracted from the real producer the worker the significance of all this lies in the fact that marx regards the period in which people work to people must work to keep themselves alive as a period in which they are not free the realm of freedom actually begins only where labor which is determined by necessary and mundane considerations ceases in primitive societies property has was held in common people were not alienated from each other or from the producer product, products of their labor but at the same time human productive forces were so purely developed sorry but at the same time human productive forces were so poorly developed that people had to spend much of their time pro providing for their needs and for all that time were not free to choose what to do 
the growth of the forces of production led to a feudal form of society in which the serf was subordinate to the feudal lord and had to work a specified number of days on the lord's land rather than on his own it was then perfectly obvious when the serf was working to feed himself and when he was working for his lord at neither time was he free to choose his own activity the vastly greater development of productive forces that take place under capitalism provides the means marx believes to reduce the domination of nature over us to insignificant proportions and increase human freedom proportionately but this cannot take place under capitalism because the forced labor of the serf for the feudal lord still exists as the forced labor of the worker for the capitalist the difference is that under feudalism the nature and extent of the forced labor is apparent under capitalism the nature and extent of the coercion is disguised workers appear to be free laborers voluntarily making agreements with capitalists in fact the position of workers as a class in a relation to capitalist as a class means that they are not free they must take the terms of the capitalist offer them or starve and uh, capitalist capitalist will only employ them under terms which allow surplus value to be extracted from their labor this is not because capitalists are cruel or greedy those some maybe but uh, because of the economic laws inherent in capitalist production which through freak com- competition coerce coerce individual capitalist as much as individual workers though equally coerced capitalists suffer less from this coercion than workers marx sums all this up as the development of capitalism into a coercive relation which compels the working class to do more work than the narrow rounds of its own life wants prescribed as a producer of the activity of others as a pumper out of surplus labor and exploiter of labor power it surpasses in energy disregard of bounds recklessness and efficiency all earlier systems of production based on directly compulsory labor the most gripping chapter of capital are not those in which marx expounds his economic theories but those which record the consequences of capitalist efficiency the 10th chapter on the working day chronicles the capitalists attempt attempts to squeeze more and more labor time out of the workers oblivious oblivious of the human cost of working 7 year old children for 15 hours a day the struggle for a legally limited working day is marx writes more vital to the working classes than a pompous catalog of the inalienable rights of man other chapters described how the increasing division of labor eliminates intellectual and manual skill and reduces the labor to a mere appendage to a machine how industrialization has ruined cottage industries forcing hand workers to starve how capitalism creates an industrial reserve army of unemployed workers subsisting in the direst poverty to keep the active labor army in check and how the agricultural population of england had their land taken from them by landlords and capitalists so that they could survive only by selling their labor power the documented evidence 
presented justifies Marx's description of capital as dripping from head to foot from every pore with blood and dirt. Near the end of the first volume of Capital, the groom, the groom lifts mass, sketches how the laws of capitalism will bring about uh, the uh, destruction of capitalism. On the one hand, competition between uh, capitalists will lead to an ever-diminishing number of monopoly uh, capitalists. On the other hand, the misery, oppression, slavery, degradation, exploitation of the working class grows. But the working class is because of the nature of capitalist production more numerous and better organized. Eventually, the dam will burst. The ensuing revolution will be, says Marx, lapsing into the style of his earlier writing, the negation of the negation. It will not mean a return to private property in the old sense, but to property based on the gains made under capitalism, that is, on cooperation and common possession of land and the means of production capitalism will make the transition relatively easy since it has already expo expropriated all private property into its own hands all that is now necessary is for the mass of the people to expropriate these few expropriators the second and third volumes of Capital are much less interesting than the first. The second volume is a technical discussion of how capital circulates. It also discusses uh, the origin of economic classes. The third volume attempts to patch up some problems in the first volume, particularly the objection that uh, prices do not reflect the amount of labor in a product as one would expect them to do on Marx's account. More important is Marx's claim that under capitalism, the rate of profit tends to fall. Marx argued that the surplus value of the past accumulates in the form of capital. Hence, capital is always increasing and the ratio of living labor to capital is always decreasing. But since capitalists only make profit by extracting surplus value from living labor, this means that the rate of profit must fall in the long run. All this was part of Marx's attempt to show that capitalism cannot be a permanent state of society. Marx, Engel, and later Marxists treat capital as a contribution to the science of economics. Taken in this way, it is open to several objections. For instance, Marx asserts that all profits arises from the extraction of surplus value from living labor machines raw materials and other forms of capital cannot generate profit though they can increase the amount of surplus value extracted this seems obviously wrong future capitalists will not find their profits drying up as they dismiss the last workers from their newly automated factories many of marx's other theories have been refuted by events the theory that wages will always tend downwards to the subsistence level of the workers, the theory of the falling rate of profit, the theory that under capitalism economic crisis will become more and more severe, the theory that capitalism requires an industrial reserve army of paupers, and the theory that capitalism will force more and more people down into the working class. Does this mean that the central thesis of capital are simply mistaken? and that the work is just another piece of uh, uh, crackdown 
सॉरी क्रैकपॉट इकोनॉमिक्स एज वी माइट हैव एक्सपेक्टेड फ्रॉम अ जर्मन फिलोसोफर मेडली इन अ फील्ड इन विच ही हैज नॉट बीन ट्रेंड इफ दिस व्यू सीम्स एट ऑल प्लॉसिबल मार्क्स हिमसेल्फ विथ हिज एम्फोसिस ऑन द साइंटिफिक नेचर ऑफ हिज डिस्कवरी मस्ट बेयर द ब्लेम इट वुड बी बेटर टू रिगार्ड कैपिटल नॉट एज द वर्क ऑफ अ माइनर पोस्ट रिकार्डियन एज अ लीडिंग कंटेम्पररी इकोनॉमिस्ट has appeared marks as an economist but as the work of a critic of capitalist society marks wanted to expose the deficiencies of classical economies in order to expose the deficiencies of capitalism he wanted to show why the enormous increase in productivity brought about by the industrial revolution has had made the great majority of human beings worse off than before he wanted to reveal how the old relationships of master and slave lord and serf survived under the cloak of freedom of contract his answer to these questions was the doctrine of surplus value as an economic doctrine it does not stand up to scientific probing marx's economic theories are not a scientific account of the nature and extent of exploitation under capitalism they nevertheless offer a vivid picture of an uncontrolled society in which the productive workers unconsciously create the instruments of their own operation it is a picture of human alienation writ large as the dominance of past labor or capital are living labor the value of the picture lies in its capacity to lead us to see its subject in a radically new way it is a work of art of philosophical reflection and of social polemic all in one and it has the merits and the defects of all three of these forms of writing it is a painting of capitalism not a photograph thank you